Welcome to the 145th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and a, le- recent lo- a look at recent games in the NBA playoffs. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start in the NBA, where Patrick went 2-2 two and two in his NBA predictions. In Major League Baseball, Patrick also went 2-2 two and two in his weekend series predictions, so Patrick was 4-4 four and four overall in this past weekend's predictions, which brings him to a 409-282 and 282 overall record, a 59.2% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Well, uh, apparently all you had to do to do uh, to get a full 100% record on the NBA predictions this week was just pick it like it's college basketball and just pick every single home team to win. Uh, I, of course, did not do that, and I ended up going 2-2 two and two because of it. I picked two home teams, two away teams. Uh, every single home team won their game three, which is how every one of these series has gone from 2-0, except for the Warriors won, and become a lot closer and really uptight. Every So, I mean, it's it's hard to really think about the fact that all these teams were really dominating the series, and then all of a sudden, things just changed. They just flipped on a dime when, when home court changed. Uh, for the Bucks, I guess they were also 1-1 one one to start with, and the Warriors were also tied 1-1. One one. So those two winning their Game 3s, not so surprising. But those were the two that I actually picked to win their Game 3s. It was the 1-4 matchups where I picked the one seeds to win on the road, uh, and both of the four seeds won those matchups. So that was the uh, surprising thing to me. Honestly, I'm not so surprised that the Sixers won their game because I picked the Sixers when I got a notification that Joel Embiid was out for Game Three, and then I walk into the ga- I, I walk in I walk into my room, turn my TV on, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, that's Joel Embiid. Why is he playing?" And as I turn it on, I see, I hear whoever the broadcaster was saying they had previously listed him as out for game three, but yet here he is playing. And I was saying, well, how can they list him as out? And now he's playing. I mean, that's an NBA injury designation thing. Teams have gotten fined for that in the past if they violated uh, the rules of that. So I know that they, I know that the Sixers didn't because they didn't get fined, at least to my knowledge yet. There hasn't been any reporting on it if they did. Uh, so far, but look, that is the reason why I picked the Heat. Is I just thought it's re- I don't think the Sixers could win a game in, in the series without Joel Embiid. I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but now that he's back, now it makes it a much different series. And as we know, they're now two and zero with him in the series. Uh, but got that game wrong, and then the Suns game. I didn't expect Chris Paul to have seven turnovers in the first quarter or whatever it was, first half, whatever it happened to be, or seven turnovers as a team, six of him, six for him personally. So. It ended up, I'm not really so mad that I got these predictions wrong because I feel like I should have gone 4-0 because I wasn't predicting. I mean, I guess I guess Chris Paul was obviously supposed to play. And, you know, I'm just saying you can't predict a terrible game from a vet like him. It, it just doesn't happen very often. However, I will say, in the case of Joel Embiid, he was not supposed to play and wasn't playing as of... And by the way, it's another thing to have him listed as doubtful or questionable. He was listed as out. So I was like, okay, he's definitely not playing. Honestly, had they listed him as questionable, I would have assumed that meant he's good to go and I would have picked them to win. But because he was listed as out, of course I didn't pick them. But anyway, I digress on that. 
Uh, moving on to the MLB, the other reason why I'm not so frustrated about the NBA is because I actually only got four games wrong in four series of the MLB this weekend, an average of one game wrong per series, which you would think would lead to a 4-0 week, but I only went 2-2 two and two because both of the teams I picked swept, and both of the teams that I picked that lost got uh, two of three taken from them, so that's a little bit more disappointing because I knew in I knew going into Sunday actually that I was at least going to be two and two, uh, and both the Brewers and the Diamondbacks, or sorry, Brewers and the Rockies had the last game of their series as the rubber match, and they were both tied in the series. And all the, all I needed, I could have just I would have taken one and one on that day. That would have been fine with me, but instead the two teams that I didn't need to win won again and swept their series. Uh, those being the Twins sweeping the A's and the White Sox sweeping the Red Sox, uh, who are, by the way, the White Sox are re- are white hot and the Red Sox are not hot at all right now. Uh, but that's a di- that's a different topic. But the Braves took two or three from the Brewers taking that Sunday game and the Diamondbacks took two or three from the Rockies taking that Sunday game. So that's just unfortunate for me. Can't really do much about that. But some frustrating circumstances to end up at four and four. But I'm glad that with all the frustration and all the things that didn't go my way this weekend, I still ended up with a 500 record because the way I felt about these predictions is not like I went 500. It feels like I went 0-8. All right. Well, uh, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, as always, on Thursdays at 4thand24.com. Now let's turn our attention once again to the NBA playoffs, starting with the Eastern Conference semifinals. And we will begin with the celtics Bucks series, which is now tied at two games apiece. Uh, we know that in Game 3, the Bucks won 103-101. Al Horford barely missed the tip-in at the very end of the game uh, after the Celtics probably had, I don't know, four or five, maybe even six attempts at the end uh, after Marcus Smart orchestrated a perfectly um, on-purpose missed, missed free throw, which, you know, happens a lot that people try to miss the free throw. It doesn't happen a lot that it's missed in a good way, uh, but... They were actually able to execute it pretty well. He got his own rebound, actually, on that shot, but uh, no one able to finish for Boston. They were trying to tie the game. Not able to. Uh, But overall in this game, Al Horford was good. He had 22 points and 16 rebounds. A lot of people were surprised. They didn't think the old man still had it in him. Uh, But well, as we'll see in Game 4, he still has a lot left in the tank if you look at these two games. Uh, but Jalen Brown had 27 on 8 of 16 shooting. Jason Tatum had 10 on 4 of 19 shooting. So really the poor shooting night from him is, I think, the main reason uh, why the Bucks were able to win this game. And then Marcus Smart also went 1 of 8. So just overall bad shooting. Uh, as a team, 37% from the field, 27% from 3. So as a team, bad shooting for the Celtics. Individually, everybody that wasn't Jalen Brown wasn't Al Horford, bad shooting. So when you combine those two together, it's not a winning formula whatsoever, and that's what ended up holding them back uh, in this game. But you go to the Bucks side of things. Uh, Giannis had 42, 12, and 8, 16 of 30 from the field, uh, although still 1 of 6 from 3. He, he was 9 of 12 from the free throw line, which is above average from him. It's a decent percentage, but... He really has got to keep shooting those free throws well because that has not been his percentage in most of these games. Uh, But he was very efficient. Uh, Drew Holiday took 30 shots as well, but only scored 25 points off of those shots. So nowhere near as efficient as Giannis was. Uh, And I I think I'll I'll talk about this more in game four, but so far now Drew Holiday has taken 92 shots in the first four games of the series. You can clearly see who has... uh, 
who, well, who they told uh, to get to put the game on his shoulders with Chris Middleton out. Uh, it's clear that Drew Holiday is the guy who's supposed to be taking that role, although we'll talk about the effectiveness of that uh, in a second with Game 4. But overall, uh, I just think that it's, you know, it's really just the honest show. I mean, no one else on on, on uh, Milwaukee was really doing that much other than him, and Holiday was very, very inefficient with the points he scored. Grayson Allen had zero. Uh, he started this game, played 25 minutes. Wes Matthews only had three. Portis had nine and seven off the bench. Connaughton had 11 and eight, but that that's not really that much. Obviously, Giannis is 42, shining through a lot, and then Drew Holiday, yes, had the 25, but very, very inefficient with 11 of 30 shooting and 3 of 10 from 3. But let's move on to the fourth game of this series. Uh, in that game, the Bucks, I mean, sorry, the Celtics won 116 to 108. Uh, this game was really, it felt a lot like the last game. It felt like game three a lot. But in the end, the Celtics had the clutch shots. Uh, they had everything go their way at the end of the game. Everybody played better, I think, overall as a team for the Celtics. Derek White was great off the bench. He was 4 of 6 from the field with 11 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. Uh, so good that they actually chose to keep him in at the end of the game. I don't think that's the normal rotation. It was definitely something that the broadcasters were emphasizing. He played 34 minutes in the game. Uh, Grant Williams was actually the one who stayed on the bench at the end of the game, despite maybe being the best Giannis stopper they have, although there isn't really a such thing as a Giannis stopper, but... Jason Tatum was 11 of 24, decently efficient. He had 30 points and 13 rebounds. Uh, Marcus Smart had 18 on 8 of 13 shooting. Jalen Brown had 18 on 5 of 11 shooting. But the real story of this game, and by the way, Jalen Brown was in foul trouble, uh, which is why he didn't shoot that much. But the real story of this game, as I said, number 42, even though he looks like he's 42 and sometimes plays like he's 42, played 42 minutes and had 30 points. Al Horford in this game was really the thing that get, that kept the Celtics going. And, and until they handed it off to Jason Tatum in the fourth when it was, I mean, T Tatum was the best closer in this game and it wasn't even close. I, I mean, Chris Middleton has to have a hyper recovery from his injury if there's anybody questioning or, or, or even attempting to dethrone Jason Tatum as the closer of this series. Uh, but Jason Tatum's 30 points probably felt more impactful in terms of when they were because he scored a lot in the fourth quarter. But Al Horford's 30 points were all really, really important, too. It felt like he had more than 30 just because every shot was— it, it just felt like when the Celtics needed it, he had the shots when they were down, when they were trying to avoid going down eight when they were already down six, those kinds of situations. That's where Al Horford was getting a lot of his points, and those points were very, very important. Uh, but in the end of the game, Jason Tatum just made some ridiculous shots, um, and then obviously there was also the whole— Al Horford dunking on Giannis with the N1 thing, too, uh, which was definitely a sight to see. But, I mean, look, th there was a stretch in this game where Al Horford had made pretty much all the points in a row. He opened the fourth quarter with with the first score. He also had that N1 that I just mentioned. Then he had another 14-foot jumper and then another three, two shots later. So he had taken over the game for a little bit. And then Jason Tatum and Al Horford just went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And they made every single shot for, I think it's a six-minute span from what I'm looking at, all the way until 144 left when Marcus Smart made a shot when the Celtics were already up 108-102. But those two, just ping-ponging back and forth, three, driving layup, floater, whatever you want to do, they had it all, and that was the reason why the Celtics were able to pull out this game. And, it, you know, it's just insane to me that I'm still talking about, that we're talking about Al Horford uh, becoming a major contributor because 
Someone could have had them as a third star on their team, too, that being the 76ers. Uh, but we're about to talk about them. So, But before we do, I did say I would mention Drew Holiday's Game 4 stuff. So I will say uh, Holiday was 5 of 22 in this game. 16, 9, and 7. You thought 11 of 30 wasn't efficient. This wasn't so great either. Giannis had 34 and 18 on 14 of 32. But he was 0 for 4 from 3 and 6 of 11 from the free throw line. So his free throw line performance dipped down a lot. Uh, Brooke Lopez was really good. This game was 17 points, but it really, other than Pat Connaughton with 11 points off the bench, everybody kind of struggled in this game for Milwaukee. It was a re- it was a really big offensive struggle for most of the game, it felt like. Uh, but it's a physical series. Uh, there's a lot of great defense being played. The Bucks have the number one postseason defense so far, and Boston had the number one regular season defense. Uh, but also something to mention, Robert Williams wasn't playing in this game, so Boston... Gets over the hump, ties the series on the road without Robert Williams. This sets up very well for the rest of the series, getting Game 5 and Game 7 at home. It's now best of three, and maybe the Celtics will be even more have healthy now than they were before. Okay, well, let's move on to that uh, other series. You mentioned the 76ers, other series in the Eastern Conference semifinals. The Heat and the 76ers are also tied at two games apiece. Game 3, the 76ers won 99-79. to I mean, I talked about 116-108 being a defensive uh, game where not a lot of offense was there. Uh, well, this game was the definition of a defensive struggle. Look, Jimmy Butler had 33 points on 12 of 22 shooting, and other than Tyler Hero, who had 14 on 5 of 15, there was not a single other double-digit score for the Heat. They had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 people who played minutes and did not score a point in this game. Out of 12 total players, that's just, it's just not going to cut out. I mean, some of those guys played two minutes at the end of the game, so obviously it's a little bit skewed, but that also included Kyle Lowry, who had zero points on 0-4 shooting, 0-2 from three. He had four rebounds and three assists, but overall also had four fouls, so just not a good game for uh, the 70, for the Heat overall. Uh, and then P.J. Tucker only had four points on two of three shooting. Bam Adebayo had nine points uh, on two of nine shooting. You think a lot of that has to do with Joel Embiid coming back, you would assume, uh, with just better defense overall, better rim protection, better paint protection. Uh, and then you have Max Struess, who had nine points on three of 11 shooting. But look, I'm looking at the offensive production, and I'm saying, I don't know what's going on on defense. You you gave up 99 points. Duncan Robinson's defense cannot be that bad that you're paying him $90 million to sit on the bench because he can't play defense. When you're only giving up 99 points, you can afford to have him in the game when you're only scoring 79 points. They need offense, and they have good offense off the bench, but they're not playing him. He's played one minute in this whole series. It's been a much debated topic. I get it that his defense might not be up to par with what the Heat are expecting at this point and and what they think they need for the playoffs, but at some point in this series, you've got to make an adjustment, and I think... Look, it's Eric Spolstra. He's a Hall of Fame level coach. He'll make the adjustment if he knows that it's necessary. So while we can all sit here from our couches and talk about, you need three-point shooting, put Duncan on the floor, that there's a reason why he's not playing. And I still trust Coach Spolstra, although maybe this is one of his moments where, you know, even a Hall of Fame coach has a few mistakes that he makes in, over the course of his career. You never know. Uh, but look, going to the 76er side of this game, uh, Embiid was not exactly dominant in this game. He had 18 and 11. Uh, 36 minutes, though, pretty hefty load of minutes for uh, considering that he's just coming back from injury. Uh, on 5 of 12 shooting, Tyrese Maxey had 21 points on 7 of 11 shooting. Harden had 17, 8, and 6 on 4 of 11, so 
Not that great, but still not bad from him. Uh, and Tobias Harris had 9, 10, and 8, but on 4 of 13 shooting. So look, you can really see that this game was kind of a defensive game, but uh, the Sixers shot 48% from three, including five of six from Tyrese Maxey. And then the catalyst of it all, Danny Green, who led the team in scoring tied with Maxey, uh, seven of nine from three in this game. So those two on their own, 12 of 15 from three, really the main reason why Philadelphia was able to win this game because they were 16 of 33 from three as a team. But obviously those guys uh, were 12 of 15 on their own. So the rest of the team, four of 18 they needed those guys to shoot well, and they did. Uh, and that was able to pick them up considering that Miami also shot 35% from the floor and 23% from three. And then in game four, the Sixers were able to repeat a similar formula to win again, uh, 116 to 108 in this game. Jimmy Butler did what he Jimmy Butler did what he always does, uh, performing in the playoffs. He had 40 points on 13 of 20 shooting. The Sixers couldn't stop Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo had 21 points on to- of 9 of 12 shooting. But as a team, Miami shot 20% from the three-point line and shot 46% from the field, allowing the Sixers, who shot 54% as a team and 48.5% from, th- from three themselves, the same exact percentage as Game 3, to win again. Uh, and this time, Embiid was a little more dominant, just a little bit more. 24 points, 7 of 13 shooting. Uh, Danny Green had another great shooting night on less shots, 11 points on three of four from three. But James Harden was the story of this game. 31 points, seven rebounds, nine assists, eight of 18 from the floor, and six of 10 from three. So you get you got everything from James Harden and also nine of 10 for the free throw line. So he was efficient. Uh, he distributed the ball well. He played good defense. He stayed out of foul trouble. And most importantly, he scored a lot of points and did everything they needed for them on offense. And that was really James Harden's game to take over, and he did. I mean, I don't know if Joel Embiid is still, you know, feeling some effects of the injury, but uh, he hasn't been necessarily taking as many shots as we're used to him taking, where he normally just takes over the game himself. But uh, I think that also could be just something that has to do with Miami's defense and how they're defending him overall. But look, you have to like what you saw from James Harden. And frankly, with what I'm seeing in this series right now, it's definitely shifted in the Sixers' favor. They just have to be able to steal one game on the road. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it because Miami has a great crowd and they've played great at home uh, in the playoffs so far. I don't even know if they've lost a game at home, honestly. Uh, But it'll be tough for the Sixers, but I I really do feel like the momentum is kind of starting to swing in their favor. I don't know if they're going to be able to close it out just because of the fact, like it is, uh, in the Celtics series, it's a best of three with one team having two games at home, and that's it's tough to win like that. Uh, but it'll be tough for Philly, but if Harding can play like he did and Embiid plays just a tad better, like the MVP level, or I guess MVP runner-up, as we now know, uh, level that he was playing at throughout the season, they will be able to beat Miami. I don't know if they're going to do that, though, so I'm still on the fence about this series. I, I, I Obviously, we're not revising predictions, but... I would probably keep I would probably keep the heat. I'd just say in seven in a in a very very close seven games. But this series is really anyone's to take at this point. Okay, well let's move over to the Western Conference, and we will start with the Warriors Grizzlies series series where the Warriors now hold a three games to one lead. In game three of this series, the Warriors put on an offensive clinic, uh, going sorry, sc- winning the game one forty two to one twelve. What I was going to say first before I actually said the score was that they went 60-50-90 as a team 
in this game after we talked about how terrible their shooting performance was and how yet with all the distractions, the technical fouls, the ejections, the injuries and all that, and bad shooting, the Warriors were still tied 1-1. This game was the reason why we were saying Memphis has to have be has to be up 2-0 right now because as we saw in this game, the Warriors can do something that only one team ever has done, by the way. That the, the last time that was done was Allen Iverson's 76ers team in 2002 in a game where I believe he scored 52 points and his team was 60-50-90 from the floor, 60% from the floor, 50% or yeah, 50% from 3 and 90% from the free throw line, but it, it, it's crazy to me that after all that, the Warriors just unleashed all their points in one game, but they were shooting over 75% for half the game. It was actually crazy how well and how efficient they were shooting in this game. Uh, but in the end, the Warriors cooled off from their maybe at, at some point 160 or 170 point pace to, school, to score a clean 142 points. Obviously, that's still a hell of a lot, uh, and there's a reason why they were able to beat Memphis in this game by 30 and then the biggest story of this game was despite John Morant's 34 points, he also got injured and, you know, people are debating whether it was a dirty play or not. It's not a dirty play, but also I think he didn't even get injured on that play. I think he got injured when he jumped into Klay Thompson's waist and came off a little bit gimpy there already, like way earlier, I think actually in the third quarter of that game. So I don't know when he got injured. I can't really say, but uh, it, it, it was, it, John got injured. And then obviously, as we know now, he missed game four. Uh, but not a dirty play. There's my commentary on it. Not too hard. Just It's just not. Jordan Poole was going for the ball. Uh, John Moran had 34 in this game, though. Desmond Bain had 16. Jaron Jackson had 15, but on 4 of 13 shooting. Uh, they had some bench production. DeAnthony Melton had 12 points off the bench, but on 5 of 14 shooting. Dylan Brooks obviously missed this game because of the suspension. But then the Warriors... Poole had 27 off the bench on 11 of 17 shooting. I mean, obviously, they scored 142 points, so the offensive numbers are going to look really good. But when you just go down the list, Raymond had 5, 8, and 5 on 2 of 3 shooting. Kuminga had 18 points on and 8 of 10 shooting. Wiggins had 17 on 7 of 10. Curry had 30 on 7 of 14. And Klay Thompson had 21 on 8 of 13. Otto Porter had 13 on 5 of 7. And Kevon Looney had 6 points on 3 of 3, along with as I already mentioned, the Jordan Poole, 27 points on 11 of 17 shooting. So everybody above 500, literally every single person who played more than five minutes in this game shot above 50% for the Warriors, uh, including two or three guys who were over 70%. So it's just insane efficiency. There's a reason why they shot 63% and 53% from the three-point line in this game. Uh, and overall, you just can't beat a team when they're playing like this with 34 assists as a team. It's just impossible uh, it, it's really, really hard. Even though the Warriors had 17 turnovers, they still were able to cruise by in this game. And also, I think 10 of those turnovers might have been in the first or second. It might have been, I think, at some point before the middle of the second quarter. I remember seeing that stat up there and being like, oh, so that's how they're shooting 75% and still losing the game. Uh, and then in the second half, the Warriors just played so much cleaner. And I mean, 37 points in the third, 41 in the fourth, closed out the game in style. And, uh, the Warriors just absolutely dominated Game 3. And then Game 4, Memphis really held control for the entire game, it felt like. But just at the end, I mean, Memphis's biggest lead was 12 points. Golden State's biggest lead was 6 in this game. But J uh, Memphis had 56 point, uh, paints in the point. Bleh. Points in the paint. I, I had it right the first time, actually. That's kind of funny. Uh, but 
They, they, they led them 56 to 42 in that category. The Warriors had 16 turnovers, so still having some turnover issues. Same amount of assists for both teams. Uh, Memphis had 15 points off of the Golden State, off of Golden State's 16 turnovers. But uh, Golden State was able to stay even on offensive rebounding and had better rebounding overall. They had better free throw shooting, shooting 20 of 22 from the line, while uh, Memphis shot 9 of 15, most of that due to Kyle Anderson's struggles. Uh, from the from the free throw line, who shot two of seven, uh, and then Jaron Jackson shot seven of eight from the free throw line. And guess what? Not a single other player on Memphis shot a free throw in this game, which is surprising, but also maybe not so surprising when you consider the fact that John Morant wasn't playing. So you know he he's the one who's normally aggressive and gets gets guys open buckets in the lane. He's gonna be the one who forces people to have to foul on layups and stuff. Uh, but Look, Memphis did not necessarily play a great game from an offensive standpoint, but they played a great defensive game uh, after the Warriors really forced them to respond with how crazy good they were in this game. And also, the Warriors missed some open looks, and look, you can't play good enough defense to make the Warriors go 0 for 15 on their first 15 threes, and it took until 3.23 left in the second quarter for Otto Porter to make Golden State's first three of the night. Uh, but Jaron Jackson, 21 points. Uh, Tyus Jones, 19 points. Kyle Anderson, 17. But as I said, the free throw struggles. And then Steph Curry had 32. Everybody else, not not so great. Jordan Poole only had 14. Klay Thompson was 6 of 20 again. But again, Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole combined to go 10 of 32 from the floor with 28 points. And somehow the Warriors win again. It's the second time this series where... They shouldn't have won based on the numbers, and yet here they are winning again. 9 of 37 as a team from the three-point line, 24%. But when Memphis only shoots 26% on their own, 41%. Uh, you got Dylan Brooks who shot 2 of 9. Jaron Jackson was 0 of 7 from 3. Tyus Jones was 3 of 4. That was good, but everybody else was just not good uh, from the three-point line, and that is how the Golden State Warriors were able to win Game 4 uh, without John Morant on the floor and take advantage of all the situations and all the circumstances. And by the way, credit to Otto Porter, who had a great game. And as I said, made the first three. He also made four of the nine threes Golden State had. He was four of six on his own. Rest of the team, five of 31. Yeah. So he was the really he was really the only one who was efficient. Andrew Wiggins was one of five. And by the way, I mentioned Steph Curry's 32 points. He was only 10 of 25 from the floor and four of 14 from three. So everybody shot ugly. And again, somehow... Andrew Wiggins bricked an open three with three minutes left from the top of the key. The Warriors shot terribly as a team. They shot 24% from the three-point line, and they still found a way to win. So, Memphis, you're not getting past Game 6 at the Chase Center. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, They might win Game 5 at home. They might play better. Jaw might come back. I don't know what might happen, Uh, but I will say that this series, I will guarantee the series is over at least in after Game 6. There will be no Game 7 in the series. The Warriors will win the series. Yeah, the, this was a weird game. Not only were the Warriors shooting poorly from three, which we've seen in this series, but they looked like they didn't want to shoot threes. Guys were passing up open looks. They had, even Steph Curry, they didn't have a lot of confidence. Memphis, Memphis did a good job running Memphis, them off okay. the line at certain points, but they were. But also, I was even questioning. I was like, let them shoot. They're, they're missing open yeah. threes. I mean, they, they could have let them shoot, and it might have even worked better. They but won the game at the free throw line. They That's did. That's how they did it. Yep. Steph Curry at the free throw line. So we've seen that We've seen that show before. All right, let's move to the other series. Not as much as Embiid and Harden at the free throw line, though. Yeah, okay, well, uh, <laughs> that's true. Uh, let's move to the other series, the Suns-Mavericks, which are also tied 2-2 in a series 
Very similar to the Heat 76ers. Yeah, pretty much the exact same, honestly. Uh, the Mavericks won 103-94. Only difference is there was no significant injury return uh, in the middle of the series. It, it was really just a jolt of energy provided by the fact that Dallas is one of the best home court advantages in the league, if not the best. They're definitely up there. Uh, and look, they just had a great game at home. Luka had 28 points, or sorry, 26 points, three, 13 rebounds, 9 assists. Jalen Brunson had 28 points leading the team uh, and the game in scoring. And despite the fact that every Phoenix starter uh, had double figures in this game and pretty good bench production too, uh, the Dallas was just able to play better. They just held, they held Phoenix down a little bit better on the offensive end. They forced some turnovers. Uh, they, out of all teams, you talked about the Warriors making a living at the free throw line. Uh, Dallas... Actually, contrary to my belief, actually didn't make a living at the free throw line. Even though Phoenix was 13 of 15 uh, at the free throw line, Dallas was still able to win shooting 10 of 13 from the free throw line. And actually, when you look at all the stats, it's insane that Dallas won this game because they won this game by nine points despite shooting worse from the field, from three, and from the free throw line. They shot less free throws, shot a worse percentage. Uh, they They shot 11 more threes than Phoenix did and made the same amount and then they only made six more shots from the field than Phoenix did on 14 less shots, but somehow uh, the Mavericks able to claw out a win, mainly because of those turnovers that I was talking about. Uh, Phoenix had 17 turnovers compared to the Mavericks' eight, and that was really the big difference in this game. I talked about how they shot a worse percentage, but they got all of those extra shots. They got the 14 extra shot attempts because of those turnovers. Uh, 22 points off turnovers for Phoenix. 15 for Dallas, which is crazy to think about because uh, Dallas had eight turnovers and Phoenix had 22 points off of them. They really made the most of every single break that Dallas gave them, but Dallas just Dallas just found a way. I mean, even even with double the turnover, or sorry, double the turnovers for Phoenix than Dallas had, Dallas still had less points off turnovers and shot a worse percentage. And look, you look at all the numbers and you're like, how in the world did the Mavericks win this game? But they did, and that's the only thing that matters. Um, and by the end of it, look, it's actually crazy. The reason why I'm struggling to have a train of thought here, because I'm looking at every stat, trying to find a reason why the Mavericks won this game, but they shot worse from every single level. They got out rebounded. They had less offensive rebounds. They had a lot less turnovers, but Phoenix still had more points off of turnovers. So it's just, it's crazy to me that Phoenix wasn't able to win this game, but Dallas really looked dominant throughout this game, had a, had a lead of 18 points at one point, And then, uh, and then, in game four, they were able to continue that momentum, uh, winning 111 to 101. And maybe the big, maybe the fact of the matter is Phoenix just didn't have that one big performance uh, in game three. And even though in this game they had it from Devin Booker, Chris Paul was only able to play 23 minutes uh, because of foul trouble, had 5.7 rebounds, or sorry, seven assists and five rebounds, uh, but fouled out of the game despite only playing 23 minutes. Uh, he was in foul trouble the whole time. Luca had 26 again, this time 11 assists and seven rebounds. Jalen Brunson had 18 points. Uh, Maxi Kleba had 11. Davis Bertans had 12. Dinwiddie had 10. And then Dorian Finney-Smith was the really big story in this game. Uh, the Mavericks shot 45.5% as a team from the three-point line, and Dorian Finney-Smith was 8 of 12 on his own. A very big help to that percentage. Bertans was 4 of 6 off the bench. Even though Luka was 1 of 10, the Mavericks still 20 of 44 as a team. Uh, and good assist numbers. They, they did everything very well in this game. Uh, they were able to, they still got out-rebounded again by Phoenix, actually. But, again, kind of the story came from the turnovers. Dallas had less, 
even though Phoenix once again had less turnovers and more points off of turnovers, Dallas still able to win another game. But when you look at the way the signs are going, even in these games that Dallas is winning, Phoenix is still really, really capitalizing on those turnovers. If Phoenix can cut down on their own turnovers and just shoot the same amount of shots as Dallas is shooting and just shoot better because they are, in fact, the better offensive team, they will start to win these games in these series again uh, and eventually win the series. That is my honest opinion on this. And look, we know how good Phoenix is. Their NBA Finals good. They were in the Finals last year. Uh, Devin Booker had 35 in this game. He's now starting to heat up in the series. Aiton had 14 and 11. Jay Crowder had 15 and 6. So it, it was an important game for Phoenix to really test their medal without Chris Paul, but uh, they're going to need their leader back. And frankly, in, in game three of the series, he also had some issues with turnovers. So I think they co- I think they go back home. They play better and they carry the momentum into game six and game seven if there is one. Uh, I think Phoenix still wins the series. It's just that Dallas had all the momentum going as soon as they had come out in game three and kind of gotten their legs under them at home. The crowd really just carried them through these games and the rest of the team kind of fed off the energy. Uh, But I think Phoenix is going to be able to do that. I think their own crowd is going to pick them up off the ground after they've lost two in a row. And I think they're going to go up three to two. And then who knows what happens from there. I think Phoenix will win the series, though. Okay, well, we'll see if your predictions about that and some of the other predictions you gave are right on our next uh, podcast as that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. But on our next podcast, we will review the next half week of NBA playoff action and talk about Major League Baseball. That podcast will be on Friday, May 13th, so please tune in. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his Major League Baseball power rankings that will be updated tomorrow, and his NBA Power Rankings that will be published Wednesday. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.